Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, so glad you guys are here. My name is Aaron, and uh, glad to see everybody here this morning, especially if this is your first time at Trailhead. We are really glad that you've chosen to come out and worship with us this morning. Um, we are going to be looking in the book of Proverbs this morning. So if you would grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, if you'll look under the seat in front of you, there should be a hardback one there and grab that one. Uh, we would encourage you to follow along as we read. I want you to see that I'm not making this stuff up. This comes straight from what's printed here in the Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we would ask you to uh, take that one with you, that hardback one. That's our gift to you because we would love it if you would take that home and read it and look at these things and read it further. As we're going through the book of Proverbs, which we're going to be in Proverbs 21, um, looking at verses 30 and 31, which is on page 554, if you're looking at our hardback Bibles. As we're going through this, uh, and Steve said this last week, and I would encourage you uh, to do this, take uh, one chapter of Proverbs and read it every day. So there's 31 chapters, so you can read one chapter per day for a month, and just immerse yourself over and over and over again in what God's saying to us through the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs 21, starting in verse 30, here we go. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord, the word of the Lord. So when we look at Proverbs, and even if you've never been in church before, if you've never opened up a Bible before, you've heard the word proverb before as a word that means like a, a short and, and wise saying. And so as we look at the book of Proverbs here in the Bible, we're looking at wisdom. And when we talk about wisdom, we acknowledge that wisdom is something that in general, everybody looks at as a good thing. And wisdom is not like some just church word. It's not just some Christian idea. Everybody talks about wisdom and generally everybody wants wisdom. I did a quick search on Amazon just to kind of prove this. And I found out that there are on Amazon, just by looking for the word wisdom, 359,470 books that come up on the topic of wisdom. That's a lot of books. Um, what could they possibly be saying that would justify that many books being written on this one topic? Well, what I realized is you can come at wisdom from a lot of different angles. So for example, let's say that you want to hear wisdom from like some famous people. You could find the wisdom of the Dalai Lama, um, or maybe that's not your taste. So you could go with the wisdom of Abraham Lincoln, or maybe that's a little too old fashioned for you. So you could come forward a little bit in time and you could have the wisdom of Winston Churchill. Or maybe all those people seem a little too calm and steady, so you could just go with the wisdom of psychopaths. Um, maybe you don't really want to hear from any specific person. You just need to understand, in general, how to get wisdom, and so you could learn about the wisdom of listening. But maybe you don't really like to listen to other people at all. Well, then you can just listen to your own dreams and get the wisdom of your dreams. And maybe you don't like listening, period. Then you could get the wisdom of your face. You could just look in the mirror. Um, maybe all this talk about planning and preparing and learning wisdom is too much, then you need improv wisdom. Don't prepare, just show up. Uh, maybe that seems intimidating to you, so you need the wisdom of donkeys, because I don't even know. Um, or maybe you run a little more cultural than that, you need the wisdom of Star Trek or the wisdom of the Batcave, or maybe that all seems just too mature. You need the wisdom of Big Bird. I got to say, so I was looking at 360,000 books on wisdom. I didn't look through all of them, but of the ones I did look at, there was only one that I saw that I genuinely, I'm being serious here, that I thought about buying, and it was this one. I might read that because that sounds like me. So, um, all of this, 360,000 books about one topic, tells me two things, two conclusions I drew from this. Number one, everybody wants wisdom. I mean, we, we, we hear the word wisdom and that's a good thing and we all seek it. Like nobody wants to be foolish and all of us have these, these these choices we have to make, these, these situations we find ourselves in where we feel lost, we feel helpless, we feel like we need some direction. And so we have in us this desire to find wisdom. 
It's a good thing. And we want to know, where should I go? What should I do? And so we seek out naturally wisdom because we want to know the right direction. But it tells me something else as well, and that's this, that nobody can seem to quite agree on where wisdom should come from. I mean... Look at all the different sources, all the different places, all these different ideas, all these different voices who are trying to speak wisdom. And they can't all possibly agree, right? I mean, if they all agreed, then 360,000 books would just be kind of redundant, I think. You could publish one. So you've got all these different conflicting voices speaking to you. And if you're like me, you, you come to these places in your life and, and these situations where it's not a light thing. It's not a minor thing. This is like we're talking about heavy stuff, difficult situations, maybe financially, where you're like, I don't know where to turn and I feel like I'm drowning here. Or relationally, where things have gone south and you're just like, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to restore this. I need help. I need wisdom. And I've got all these different voices speaking and how do I cut through those voices? And so into that, into the thousands upon thousands of not just the books that have been published, but all of the things that have been said throughout time and all of the places that you could turn to your friends, your relatives, everybody who wants to give you advice, out of all of that, what makes the book of Proverbs specifically and, and the Bible in general any different? from all those other voices. Why would we listen to this above those? Or should we? Maybe it's just another voice to drop in to all the other voices. Maybe what we should do is get as many of those books or as many of those podcasts or as many of those conversations as we can and add the Bible in with those and out of all of that sort of see what consensus we can draw. But if we look at what Solomon, who, who wrote the Proverbs that we're reading this morning, and we're going to talk about him in a minute, but as we look at what he says in Proverbs 21, verse 30, he kind of is setting up this idea that we can't really do that. Like he's precluding the idea that maybe we take some of this and some of this and the Bible and we mix it together because he says in verse 30, no wisdom no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. And Solomon is, in saying this, he's kind of like drawing this dividing line and he's separating out all of the advice, all of the, the words that can be spoken into two categories. And that's how I want to look at it this morning, that there is human wisdom and then there is godly wisdom. And Solomon's saying that they are distinct, they are separate, and he's making the claim here that one is superior to the others. Now, in order to understand that, and in order to see why he would say that, and, and specifically him, but then for us, why we might be uh, persuaded to believe that, I think we need to go back a little bit. And we need to understand a little bit about Solomon's story and where he comes from and where he's speaking this from in order to get a full picture of this. So I want to take a look back to something that happened in Solomon's life. And so we're going to go back to 1 Kings, which is back, um, again, if you're in the hardback Bible, it's on page 282, 1 Kings chapter 3. And let me give you a little bit of context about what we're going to read. So King Solomon, um, obviously before he was king, his father, David, was the king. And while David was the king of the nation of Israel, there was just strife. There was turmoil. There was war. There was war from without and war within. His own sons kind of started a civil war against their father, not Solomon, but his, his other sons. And, and so, I mean, there was just bloodshed. There was battle all the time. And, and then da when David died and Solomon becomes the king, and Solomon is trying to kind of restore the nation. He's trying to do things right. And he has a desire to, to follow God in what he's doing with the nation. 
And then something crazy happens right after Solomon becomes the king. And I want to show this to you, and I, I want to point out a couple of things from this that I think will help us as we understand what is wisdom and where does it come from, and why should we trust God's wisdom above any other, and specifically the book of Proverbs. So look at 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5 at Gibeon, which was a place where Solomon had gone to make sacrifices to God. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And I want to point something out and just, just to make this clear, and I'm not trying to be like picky or, or overly uh, you know, specific about words, but I want you to notice that it says the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, not Solomon had a dream that the Lord appeared to him. And here's what I mean by that. So God actually appeared to Solomon. He did it through a dream. So you're like, oh, come on, you're being picky. But what I'm saying is this wasn't just a dream Solomon had about God. You know, like you have weird dreams sometimes and you wake up in the morning and you're like, well, what was that all about? That's not what happens here. This is truly a, a vision of God speaking to Solomon. And part of the reason we know that is because of the results of what comes from him. So, so the Lord actually appears to Solomon. He does it in a dream by night. And God says in this dream, ask what I shall give you. What do you want, Solomon? Here it is, blank check. You have become the king of Israel. There is fighting, there is war. The nation is divided against itself. Plus you have these outside enemies coming in and trying to attack you. Your family's a mess. I mean, Solomon's family was just, you know, what do you want? And he could have said, he, he probably, what I would have said in that sort of, man, fix my family. Or, you know, God, with all this, this, battles that have gone on and the destruction that's been laid waste to Israel, we need, we need financially to be able to rebuild. Or, or I'd look at it and I'd say, there are still these enemies who are, are coming after us. God, I, I, we need military might. Destroy our enemies. Here's what Solomon says. Verse six, and Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart, toward you. Now, it's fascinating to me because if you know anything about the story of David, David was not like a perfect person in the sense that he did some horrible, horrible things. And it's interesting to me that Solomon, and Solomon describes him as having walked before God in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness. And if you just looked at David's life at what he did, you'd say that is ridiculous. So I think we have to look at this in a couple ways. And one of them is that what he's saying is not that David was in his actions perfect, but that there was something in David's heart that cried out for God. There was something in David's heart that desired to follow God. And Solomon recognized that. And as much as David sinned and as much as he fell and as much as he did not follow those desires in his heart, Solomon, as his son, knew that within his heart there was a desire to please God. And he says, you have kept him kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. Solomon looks at where he is as the king and he acknowledges that where he is comes from God. That he didn't earn it, that he didn't achieve it, that it wasn't by his work that put him there. That he's totally in this situation because of God's grace in his life. He goes on, and now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. He says, I am lost. I am too small for this moment. I've been made king, and not just king of any nation. He says, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. A great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. God had made a promise way, way back to Abraham that through him, through his family, through what would become the nation of Israel, that all of the world would be blessed. And so here's Solomon, and, and, and God had repeated that promise to David, that through D David's family, 
a Savior, a Messiah would come to the world to save the world. And so here's Solomon saying, I'm the king and I'm not just the king of any nation. I'm the king of this nation that supposedly God has said that this is the nation he's chosen to bless the entire world. This is overwhelming. Solomon looks at this and he's like, this is more than I can handle. I don't know what to do. I'm wondering if if you've ever felt that way, that you're in a situation, not that you've been made king before. I mean, if you have, that's so awesome. But, um, but that you found yourself in a situation, either from your own choosing or through circumstances outside of your control, that you just go, I, this is bigger than me. This is bigger, not maybe not more important than me, but just this is huge. This is, there are lives hanging in the balance. That there are relationships here that, that I could ruin by my choices, and that that is like overwhelming to you. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. So when, about seven years ago, uh, when we had our, our, our daughter, our first child, and, um, and she was in the hospital for like five days, four days, and then they like let her go home. And I remember so much that first day when we got home. And it was like, okay, there were, the last four days, there were like these nurses who came in and would tell us what was going on. And um, there was like people checking on us, checking on her. And now all of a sudden it's like just us. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. And and this is a life. So like I've been in places before where I didn't know what I was doing, but not with somebody's life, right? And you look at a baby and they're like helpless and like totally dependent on you. And I'm like, I'm going to break her somehow, right? So this is kind of the situation on a much, much larger scale where Solomon finds himself. And he says, I'm supposed to be ruling this nation and I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to go out or come in. I feel like I'm just a kid and I'm supposed to be in charge of this nation. So here's his request. God said, what do you want? And Solomon says, everything I have is from you and I am totally lost here. So please, verse nine, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. And then I may discern between good and evil, For who is able to govern this, your great people? So Solomon makes the request. And it's a request that comes not from a sense of his own importance, not from a sense of his own strategy or his own planning. It's a a request that comes simply and totally from a sense of his brokenness, from a sense of his weakness, for uh, a sense of his unpreparedness. That he looks at this situation and he goes, "I I am helpless here. God, if you're going to give me anything, you just got to tell me what to do. Because on my own, I am lost. So here's what God says. Verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. God says, I am going to give you what you asked for. You asked to be wise, I will give you wisdom. I will give you understanding. I will give you a mind to know the difference between right and wrong in a way that no one ever has before and no one ever will afterwards. You are going to become known as the wisest man who ever lived. But he goes on and he says, I give you also what you have not asked with riches and honor so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. I um. When I was a kid, I heard this story back in in Sunday school when I was growing up in church. And I thought, oh, okay, I get this. So if God asks you what you want, you say something that sounds really spiritual, 
and then he gives you the other good stuff too. So it's like a trick, right? So Solomon like figured out the magic words. That's not what's going on here. And that's not what God is saying. God's not saying you picked the right door and so you get what's behind all three. What God is saying here is because of your humility, Solomon, because of your dependence, because of your acknowledgement of your need for me, I'm going to do things through you. I'm going to give you blessings that are unexplainable by who you are on your own. And I'm going to do this so that when other people look at you, Solomon, because you've come to me out of humility, because you've come to me out of this sense of feeling like a child who doesn't know what to do, that you won't turn around and tell everyone, look at the riches that Israel has. Look at our military power that we have. Look at how peacefully we live or how prosperously our people are. You won't turn around and say, and that's because of me. But rather, you'll turn around and say, the only explanation for this is God. God is for God. God's highest aim, and you'll see this throughout scripture, God's highest aim is to make his name great, to magnify his glory throughout the world. That's God's purpose. And that's a good thing. And it's good for us because God's glory is greater than anything we could ever hope or wish or dream for. And when we are immersed in sharing and understanding and worshiping God and who he is and his glory, then we find the greatest joy we ever could find. But it's only through pursuing God's glory. And so when Solomon comes to God humbly and broken and asks for wisdom, God says, I will give you that because you will point it back at me. Not because you've tricked me into answering your prayer. Not because, and let's catch this. In verse 10, when it says it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, not because Solomon figured out this is what makes God happy. And because I said the thing that makes God happy, he's going to give me extra blessings. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is because of Solomon's willingness, at least at this point in his life, his willingness to make God's name greater. And his willingness to understand his true position and who he really was, that God wanted to bless him in a way that would make God's name great. And God says, and if you will, and this is verse 14, if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And the fascinating thing about the life of Solomon So God grants him a wisdom that's never been known before or since. That's never been matched by any other human being. And it's not a human wisdom. It's from God speaking through Solomon. And and so he writes Proverbs that are wisdom directly from God. And he lives at a time in the nation of Israel that is unmatched throughout their history in terms of military power, in terms of financial wealth. People would come from from far and wide to see what Solomon built in Israel because of God's blessings on his life. And yet, and yet, as you study Solomon's life, as time went on, he he drifted. And God says, if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, and he did that, but, but he didn't do it for his whole life. And he starts coming to a place in his life where he starts leaning on his own wisdom and his own strategies and his own plans away from God's. And as he did that, and the more he did that, then things start to fracture and things start to fray. And it gets to the point where when when Solomon dies, that the legacy he leaves behind is that the nation of Israel splits in half. When he walked through his life in God's wisdom, he was blessed. And when he did not, things went wrong. And this goes back to what Proverbs said, that there's no human wisdom 
at all that will avail against the Lord. And as long as our desire and our our seeking is to follow God's wisdom, then we can expect God to bless us. Not, please understand what I'm saying. Not like he's going to financially pour out all this money on us because we're doing what we're supposed to do. He's not relationally just going to make everything rosy and perfect because we said the secret words. What I'm saying is this, and what what Solomon is saying is this. God has a wisdom and an understanding and a knowledge that is so far above our own. God's going to do what he's going to do, and it will always be what is right. True wisdom is seeking to be a part of that. True godly wisdom, we could call it biblical wisdom, is seeking to be a part of what God is doing and acting in a way that lines up with what he has said. I'm going to show you this in a different way, in different words, and maybe this will clarify it a little bit. Let's flip forward to the New Testament, to the book of James. Again, if you're uh, in one of the hardback Bibles, it's on page 1011. So this is after Jesus has been on the scene and he's uh, gone back into heaven. And so James, who was Jesus' brother, writes this letter to the early church and he talks about wisdom as well. And he says something very, very similar to what we've been talking about. In James chapter one, in verse five, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, which all of us, I think, would say, that's me, right? We all lack wisdom. And he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. God will give you wisdom if you ask for it. God wants to give you wisdom. God wants you to do what is wise, And he will give it to you without reproach. So God isn't like your friend that you come to him and you're like, I messed things up. And he's like, I knew you would. Okay, here's what you should have done. Instead, God is glad when we come to him asking for wisdom. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, so that part totally throws me off. Because I read that and I'm I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask God for wisdom and he's going to give it to me. And this is all good. And he gives generously and without reproach, which means he's so glad I'm asking. But then it gives this caveat that's like, now, if you don't have faith, if you have any doubts, you're out of luck. And I look at my heart and I look at my life and I'm like, I'm full of doubts. I mean, this is like where I live is like, okay, God, I believe you, but what if? And so is James saying here that there's no shot if I have even an inkling of doubt? And that's not what he's talking about. When he says, let him ask in faith with no doubting, what he's talking about is, do you have faith? Do you believe that God's wisdom is greater than any human wisdom? Are you coming to God and asking God to show you his will with the idea that it's what's right? With the intention that, okay, God, you show me what's right and I'll do it. Or are you looking for more advice? So my temptation a lot of times is to come to God with the attitude that's kind of like, Okay, so I've talked to this person, I've read this book, I've read this blog, I've looked it up, you know, I've read all, and now let me see what God says. And I'll see how that measures up against these other things I've heard, and I'm going to pick whichever one fits me best. I'm going to pick the one that I think will give me the results that I'm looking for. I'm going to weigh God's ideas against these other ideas. And if I come to God like that, and James says this here, I'm I'm like a wave on the sea. I'm being tossed about. I'm being thrown this way and that way because wisdom is constantly, from from a human perspective, wisdom changes. 
So what was wise yesterday might not be wise tomorrow. And so I've got to constantly be trying to keep up with what's supposed to happen in my life if I'm basing it on human wisdom. And I become a double-minded man because I'm saying to myself, like, I want to follow God, but let me check what other options are out there. And James is saying, if you want God to give you wisdom, you have to have a one-track mind as it concerns wisdom. You have to come to God with this humility of spirit that says, I cannot figure this out on my own, but God, I trust you to know what is right. I trust you to be not just the one who can tell me what's true, but the one who determines what is true. And out of that trust, out of that faith, God, I'm here to listen to what you have to say. Okay, so bottom line of both of these scriptures is this. I I need God's wisdom if I'm going to do God's will for God's glory. So this is not how I operate usually. Okay, usually what I do, usually what we do, is we, we seek human wisdom and maybe a combination of human wisdom and God's wisdom, but we, we want to kind of meld them together. We seek human wisdom to do what we want to do or what we feel like we need to do for our good, for our best interest, for our, we probably wouldn't use this word, but for our own glory. So I seek to find what's going to make Aaron happy or what's going to make Aaron secure, or what's going to make Aaron feel like he's in control, or he's famous, or he's popular, or he's well-loved, or whatever it may be, by doing what I want to do, and so I seek out any kind of wisdom that will tell me what I want to hear. But if I truly believe, if I truly believe that there is a God who is all-knowing and all powerful. Okay, so if if you truly believe that there's a God who created this entire world and he's the one who constructed it so he knows how it works best, and that he is, as the, the scriptures teach us, that he knows everything from time past, everything into the future, everything right now, and he sees them all happening at the same time, and not just he knows them, but he's the one in control of them, that he's making things happen the way he wants them to happen, that he's totally and completely in control of everything. If you believe that, and if I believe that, then that's the wisdom that I'm going to follow. What I show, what I display, when I follow any other kind of wisdom, what I make perfectly, totally clear is that I I don't really believe that. That I, in, in my... And look, this is where we are, okay? Let's just be honest. In my broken mind and in my broken spirit, because I am not God. And so in that broken body and broken mind, all I can see is what's right in front of me. And I can see back into the past as much as I am able to learn. And I can see into the future what could be or might be or possibly I could predict. But I have no perfect knowledge of all of it and how it works together. And no one else does. But when I follow my own wisdom and my own ideas, I'm displaying that I believe that in some way I or some other person can figure things out better than God. When I'm confronted with something that either through scripture or through God speaking to me in my heart that is something that this is what God wants me to do. And I push back and I say, I I don't think so. I'm going to go my own way on this one. What I'm saying is I think I'm smarter than God. I would never say that like out loud, (laughs) but it's what I'm displaying by my actions by my attitudes. Now, I can understand that and I can hate that all day long, but the truth of the matter is, on my own, 
in that brokenness, in my broken mind and in my broken spirit, I am incapable of seeing and understanding God's wisdom. Because of my broken mind, I am not able to fully grasp God's wisdom and God's plan. The only hope I have of understanding how God truly has designed the world to work and how he wants us to operate, how he wants me to operate in that world according to his plan is through him revealing that to me. And there are some things he's revealed to everyone through the world he's created and through the scriptures. And then there are some things that I can only understand through his Holy Spirit working in me, opening my eyes and giving me an understanding of what he said. But the only way I can have that is through a relationship with him. And all of us need truly to understand God's wisdom a relationship with God. But the bad news is that the the possibility of a relationship with God has been broken by our sin. That thing within us that says we are wiser, we are better, we are smarter, that rebels against what God says is good, that's sin. And it pushes us away from a God who loves us and the God who created the world. And it created this gap within us and it's all of us and we're born with it. This, this idea in our minds and in our hearts that we are wiser, that we are smarter, that we could be like God and know what he knows. And it's broken any chance of a relationship and any chance of knowing what is right and what is true. And yet God, in his wisdom and in his love for us, had and has throughout time had a plan, a way, a course for us to be reconciled to him and for us to be reborn and remade and have our eyes opened to his wisdom. And that plan in that way and the only way for our eyes to be opened to God's wisdom is through Jesus Christ. That he came to earth and lived a perfect life and died the death that I deserve to die for my sins. So that by placing my faith in him, I can be restored to my relationship with God and that my mind can be renewed so that my eyes can be opened to God's wisdom. Without that, Without Christ's sacrifice, I am incapable of knowing true wisdom. So when James says, let him ask in faith, and partly he is saying that believing that God's wisdom is true. But there's also an implication here, asking in faith, meaning in faith in Jesus Christ, our faith in the gospel, our faith that Christ died for us and that he reconciles us to God. And it's in that faith that we are even able to ask and to understand what God is trying to say to us. So where do we go with all of this? With this idea, so there's two kinds of wisdom. There's a human wisdom And there is a godly wisdom. And to us, in our brokenness, oftentimes they can look very similar and they can be hard to distinguish between. So I think there's two things that we need to do. And the first one we saw in both Solomon's life and then in the passage in James, and that's we need to pray for wisdom. We need to ask God to give us wisdom, not in this way that, again, like my, when I, you know, the Sunday school understanding of Solomon, this way of saying, God, please give me wisdom, but I'm actually saying it because I want something else. And so I feel like I have to tag on these magic words at the beginning. That's not what I'm talking about. When we actually, the way Solomon did, humbly accept who we are and our brokenness and my inability on my own to be able to understand or to, to, to find a way in this world. When I come to God humbly like that, and ask him for wisdom, then he's promised that he will give wisdom. He will give wisdom to those who ask 
in faith. So let's do that. Let's ask, in wisdom. let's ask for wisdom. Let's ask in faith with an expectation. Oh, this is what's so awesome when God tells us those who ask, he will give generously without reproach. We can come if we come humbly, if we come knowing that on our own, we are worthless and, and unable to understand that we can expect that God will give us wisdom. But then the flip side of that or the second part or the next thing we have to do is then apply that wisdom. Look at verse 31 of Proverbs 21. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. There can be this sense in us at times. When we ask for, or when we understand that God is completely in control, that he is all powerful, that he's the one who controls everything that happens. And, and we can look at our lives and say that what was intended for evil, God intended it for good. And we look at all that and there can be this part of us that says, so what's the point of trying to do anything that's right? I'll just do whatever I want to do. God's going to work it out, right? And what's the point of, of planning? What's the point of seeking wisdom? If God's going to do what God's going to do, then why should I, you know, bother spending my time trying to figure out what he's up to. Solomon says the horse is made ready for the day of battle. When God gives us wisdom, it's so that we can apply it to our situation. God doesn't give us wisdom so that we can then go, this is what we just said, so that we can go and do whatever we want to do. God, by his grace, grants us wisdom so that we can do it. He shows us the path so we can walk in it. He speaks to us about our finances so that we can apply those principles truthfully with our money. He tells us how relationships are intended to work and how we should navigate those relationships so that we can treat people that way. We can fall into one of two ditches instead of walking down the path that God's laid out for us. And one is to have this sort of fatalism and we can spiritualize it. It's all in God's hand and that's true. But there are things that God is asking us to do. And we seek his wisdom so that we can do the things he asks us to do. The other side, the other ditch that we can fall into is to get in our minds this sense, this this fear that everything is on us. Okay, God, give me wisdom. Boy, I hope I don't mess it up. Or on the flip side, God gave me wisdom and look what I did. I applied what he said and look how great my life has been. I am awesome. When we apply God's wisdom, we always have to remember that the victory belongs to him. I can get overwhelmed at times when we start talking about wisdom. When I look at the choices I have to make, and and like I said earlier, those choices can seem so big to me, so important to me. They can seem, they, they, they can hang so heavy on me. Like if I choose wrong, I could so ruin things. I could ruin my life. I could, I could hurt the cause of Christ in the world. I could destroy other people's lives. And I freeze with indecision. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. But this sense that like if, if I don't make the right choice, everything will fall apart and, and so I make no choice. And I go back and forth. I'm that double-minded man forever going on and on, waiting and waiting and waiting and never making a choice because I've, again, ceased to trust in God. Because I'm so worried about preparing the horse for battle that I've forgotten that the victory belongs to the Lord. And so I have to come back to this and remind myself, God is in control. I will probably make some unwise decisions in my life. God is in control. I want to do what is wise. I pray for wisdom. I ask God for wisdom. And I ask with the expectation that when he shows me what to do, that I will do my best to follow that. But God is is in control. And so every wrong choice you've made in your past, God God is in control. 
And every difficult situation you find yourself in right now and you don't know which way to turn, God is in control. And instead of that giving us this sort of despondent sense that we should just sit back and we have nothing we can do, that should free us. It should free us. It should open within our hearts a freedom to follow and obey what God says we should do because we trust that he will do what is right. And so instead of placing all the anxiety and all the fear of making the right choice on myself or on yourself, do what God says you should do and then trust him to make it all turn out. Now that's hard, okay? Look, that's hard. And I don't say this this morning from a a place of having figured this out, okay? I would venture to say I'm probably the worst person in this room when it comes to this, about being frozen with indecision because I'm so scared of making the wrong choice. And so I have to ask myself, do I really believe that God's in control? Do I really believe that the victory belongs to the Lord? If I do, then I should have freedom to follow him and to do what's right. We're going to move into a time of reflection. And I have some questions for you to think through, but but big picture. As we move into this time of silent reflection, I would encourage you, take this time whatever that situation is, whatever that, that difficult, I don't know, relationship or, or that, that difficult financial place you found yourself, that, that whatever it is at work and you're trying to figure out, do I look for a new job or do I stay here? Do I have this conversation? Do I, wherever that is, take this time and pray. Humble yourself and pray and ask God, not, listen, and here's, maybe this is the subtle shift, not, God, will you please do this, which is not a wrong thing to do and not a wrong thing to pray. But I'm saying today, why don't we, why don't we just pray and ask God, give me some wisdom. God, show me what wisdom is in this situation. Because God, I don't know which way to turn. I'm a small child in a situation that's too big for me. So God, make it clear. Show me what you want me to do. And God's telling us, if you pray that prayer, and if you pray it earnestly with a, with a heart that says, God, show me and I will do it. Through your power, through your grace, I will do it. Then he'll show you what's wise. So let's pray that together. And then we can reflect on, on some of these questions in praying that prayer. And we can ask, in your current situation, whatever that thing is, or maybe for you it's multiple situations. Who are you listening to? Is it human wisdom or is it God? There's a lot of voices, at least 360,000 of them trying to speak into your life. Which ones are you hearing? And then based on what you're hearing, what are you doing And what does that show about what you believe? Do you truly believe, do I truly believe that God knows more than I do? More than what any human knows? If so, that's going to affect how I act. So do I truly believe that God knows everything and he is completely in charge? And then what would it look like to take this away? This is not a theoretical thing. This is not just a mental thing. What would it look like to act in obedience out of that faith? If I truly believe that God knows more than I do and he's completely in control, then what would that move me to do? How would I act on that belief? So we're going to take some time that you can reflect on that. Sometimes a part of wisdom is seeking counsel from godly advisors. Sometimes In our brokenness and in God opening our eyes, he does that through the advice of of other godly individuals. We would love to be able to to speak with you if you're facing a difficult time, if you're seeking wisdom. When you came in and you got a bulletin this morning, there's a response card in that bulletin. If there's a question, if there's a situation and you just feel stuck, 
and you feel lost and you feel like you want to know what God's wisdom is and you feel like you're hearing so many voices and you'd like for us to, A, just pray for you in that situation, we would love to do that. If you'd like to meet with us and talk and we can unpack scriptures together that apply to your situation, we'd love to do that as well. If you would just fill out that card, write down what it is that you're struggling with or even just let us know you'd like to meet up with us. You can drop it in the boxes up here by the communion um, table or on the, in the boxes on the way out and we'd love to, to share with you the wisdom that God's revealed in his word and how it can apply specifically in your situation. We're going to move into a time of response and then we're going to share communion together. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for who you are, first and foremost. For your glory and your might and your power. For your knowledge that goes beyond the beginning of time and through past the end of time and more than anything we could ever understand or know, and that's you. And you know what's right and wrong. You are what's right and wrong in every situation. And it's humbling to stand in your presence and to imagine that we could ask you, the creator of this universe, to share wisdom with us, frail, broken, weak, and so often rebellious human beings. And yet you've invited us to do just that. Thank you for that invitation. And so God, this morning, we as a church, we want to repent of so many times over and over that we seek our own wisdom, that we we try to follow our own path, that we look for our own glory. We try to do what will be best for us. So change our hearts and turn us towards you, please, God. Please awaken in us a a desire to know your wisdom, to follow your commands, to find your glory, and to, to delight and be blessed by you and what is good and what is right and what is true. I pray that for everyone in this room that our prayer this morning would be, God, give us a wisdom that is beyond human understanding. And give us the strength and the grace through your spirit to follow and walk in it. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.